we open this week's show, please join Bishop Rhodes and host Kyle Hyman as they pray the Regina Chaley, or the Queen of Heaven, a hymn to the Blessed Mother that's usually prayed during this special Easter season. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of Heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. The Son whom you merited to bear. Alleluia. Has risen as he said. Alleluia. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord has truly risen. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop Rhodes talks about the legacy of Catholic School Superintendent Marsha Jordan, who recently passed away. Then it's on to the diaconate ordination and the two new transitional deacons now serving the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. And finally, Bishop unpacks John chapter 15, part of the Last Supper Discourse, which includes the parable of the vine and the branches, the commandment to love one another, and the warning to expect opposition. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. Thank you again for taking some time out of your schedule. Busy schedule this time of year. You're welcome. Yeah, May's a busy month, but a lot of great things. So, yeah, yeah thank you. So many confirmations and baccalaureate masses, uh, running down to Indianapolis for the... Indianapolis, or the, what is it, the Indiana Conference of Catholic Bishops? Indiana Catholic Conference. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah, a lot going on, um, you know, and ordination also. Right. So, yeah, this is uh, pretty much every night I'm out somewhere, but I love doing that because it enables me to be with the people, celebrate the sacraments, but it can be a little a bit grueling, but yeah. I don't I don't really mind. Yeah, it's... it's uh, it's why I'm a bishop, you know? So, yeah, yeah thanks. Two things happened over the weekend. Uh, we had the, well, on Friday was the funeral for Marsha Jordan, who was a superintendent of Catholic schools. Uh, I think it was over 40 years of service to our Catholic schools as a teacher and and really did so much for our diocese and for the, all of the school children that were affected by her work. And then, of course, the ordination to the diaconate on Saturday for two of our, our seminarians yes. who are going to be transitional deacons. And any reflections on Marsha Jordan? I'm glad you asked about Marsha. You know, I'm really going to miss her. Um, just uh, she was so dedicated to our schools, really a wonderful person. And yeah, I felt really privileged to be able to celebrate her funeral mass last Friday and um, to express condolences certainly to her daughter and her sisters and their families. You know, she taught at Bishop Dwenger High School. She uh, was then principal at Queen of Angels in Fort Wayne, mm -hmm. which is her home parish. And, and um, she did a wonderful job there. And, and then she became superintendent of schools she really was um, incredibly good at her job. She she really helped our principals, and she was so knowledgeable of not only and committed to the mission, but also knowledgeable of all the other things regarding good education mm -hmm. curriculum. She was very helpful in making sure that uh, all the standards were being followed. Whenever an issue would come up, Marsha really was um, very diligent. And um, 
But besides her expertise in, in education and, and her commitment to the mission of Catholic education, she was just a committed disciple of the Lord. I mentioned in my homily on Friday, a lot of people didn't know because she was quiet about it, but, but she was very generous behind the scenes. Um, for example, helping needy families with her own finances she would she would you know help with tuition for people who needed it and things like that that no one knew about yeah so there was a goodness about her and uh so i really will miss her and a lot of people may not have known that she had been struggling for cancer with cancer for many years Mm -hmm. and getting treatments and at ohio state and but she continued working those years and never complained you know, of course, it was in recent months that the uh, things got more difficult and she had to retire. But mm-hmm. but she really was fighting cancer for, for a number of years. She never let it get her down and yeah. she never let it, uh, you know, she, she kept plugging along with her work. She really was a gift to our diocese and will be long remembered hmm. because of our, our strong Catholic school system. I would have to give a lot of thanks to Marcia for helping our Catholic schools to be strong. Yeah. And then the ordination to the diaconate on Saturday for two of our seminarians. Yeah. You know, celebrating ordinations is one of my greatest joys as bishop. And um, yeah, two fine young men, Stephen Felicia, who was a parishioner at St. Therese Parish in Fort Wayne, and Dan Kale, a parishioner of St. Vincent de Paul in Fort Wayne. Two fine young men. They've been studying as as you know, at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, they'll have one more year of seminary formation before they are ordained to the priesthood. By this time, everyone probably knows what their summer assignments are. Uh-huh. Um, I've assigned Deacon Dan Kale to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Fort Wayne, mm-hmm. and I've assigned Deacon Stephen Felicia to uh, St. Thomas the Apostle Parish in Elkhart, okay. so that they have a you know, good 10 weeks of diaconal ministry before they return to the seminary and, and return to their studies. Also, while they're at the seminary, they'll have uh, parish assignments as well, so they mm-hmm. go out on weekends. It's always a, a, a time of thanksgiving that God is blessing us with, with these vocations. And um, it's good to have all our seminarians back for the summer, although a good number of them are out of the diocese during the summer yeah. because those who are between college and theology or between pre-theology and theology, I send to uh, the Institute for Priestly Formation in Omaha, Nebraska. It's a 10-week spiritual formation program that's really, really good to help them to just focus on their prayer life and their spiritual life. So we have a number of guys there this summer because that's a pretty large class that's entering first theology. And then there's another group of of men that I've sent to Guatemala to be immersed in Spanish. There's an excellent Spanish language program that many of our men go to once during their seminary formation after they've studied a little bit of Spanish in the seminary. Mm -hmm. Then this gives them an immersion experience, which helps them to learn the language even better and also to experience the culture. And it's really nice because being in Guatemala, they always go and visit the village where Blessed Stanley Rother served oh, as, sure. as a priest and where he really died as a martyr. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So I've never been down there. Some One of these summers, I want to go down and visit because I really want to visit that town. It's called Santiago Atitlan. Uh-huh. And then the other seminarians that aren't in Guatemala or in Omaha are assigned to parishes. And uh, so I'll probably get to see them. Well, I surely will get to see them different times during the summer. So pray for our uh, seminarians and especially our new deacons. I invite our listeners to continue to pray for good vocations uh, for, to the priesthood here in our diocese. Yeah. And all the seminarians will do the priestly formation in Omaha? All of them do. Yeah. I require that. The only exception is when I send a man to do studies in Rome mm-hmm. because they have to be in Rome like in July. Yeah. So they can't go to the IPF program. Okay. But that's only a couple seminarians. And then what percentage of our seminarians go down to Guatemala to study Spanish? Well, first of all, it's an expectation that they all study Spanish okay. because of the pastoral need here in our diocese. Uh-huh. So I would say the majority, I don't know what percent exactly, but I would say probably a little more than half probably do go to and have that immersion experience in Mm -hmm. Guatemala. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop. Coming up, we're going to take a look at the mass readings that are coming up, which take a look at John chapter 15, which is the Last Supper discourse right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And if you don't mind kind of sharing a little bit about some of the upcoming gospels, we kind of thought maybe we could break down the next four gospels that we have. It's basically the Last Supper and starts with today's gospel in John chapter 15, verse 1. And so could you give us maybe a little bit of the scene of what's happening here for the Last Supper? Well, for our listeners, you know, I love re- reflecting on the scriptures, and and John's gospel is 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 so rich. This week we have readings from chapter fifteen of John's gospel, and it's as you said, part of the Last Supper discourse, as related to us by Saint John. Really, I find chapter fifteen beautiful chapter of John's gospel for prayer and meditation. So. I'd be happy to go through a little bit with the listeners. Mm -hmm. The beginning of it is the famous parable of the vine and the branches. It's really a beautiful expression of the mystery of Jesus and the church. As a matter of fact, I've been using this gospel for some of the baccalaureate masses. Yeah. um, Because, you know, the idea of remaining in Christ's love. So I uh, encourage the the graduates to to uh, be living branches on the vine, which is Jesus. In other words, um, to remain in Him. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of like a very important, uh, I think, message as our graduates go forth to to stay close to Christ and His Church. Mm-hmm. So it might be helpful if we just maybe read that um, first eight verses of John fifteen just so our listeners can maybe reflect a little bit. But I would encourage people not just to listen to me on the radio, but but maybe use this, especially during the Easter season. We're getting near the end of the Easter season, but to meditate on these, these great readings. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, I think it was our last 
episode, maybe Kyle, we talked about the seven I am correct. Yeah, uh, saying statements of Jesus in the Gospels. And, I didn't score very high on that test. Yeah, but, you, you did very oh, well. Well, thank you. I think <laughs> you're being generous. <laughs> you got most of them. Okay. You know, I am the light of the world. Mm-hmm. I am the bread of life, etc. Well, this is the last I am statement, and it's when Jesus says, "I am the true vine." This parable begins kind of like a parable, I guess, with these words. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And everyone that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. I'll stop there and maybe reflect a little bit, and then we'll continue with this reading. It begins with Jesus saying, I am the true vine. And I think that's a very important um, beginning because this was a very common image that the people would have understood, not only because they were familiar with vineyards, but also because they were familiar with the Old Testament. Hmm. And in the Old Testament, for example, in Isaiah chapter 5, the vine is, is, is used, and it's referring, by the way, to a grapevine. It's a biblical image for the people of God, for Israel. So when we think about that, we think about, okay, Jesus saying, I am the true vine. He's revealing that there is this deep inner connection between himself and his disciples who are the branches. So Israel, which was considered the vine in the Old Testament, they had a vocation to be God's people and to be obedient to God. Now we have Jesus saying he is the true vine because his vocation, he's completely obedient to the Father's will. Hmm. What about the branches. Well, the people or the disciple who lives in communion with Jesus is a branch united to the vine and also is called to practice the same obedience that Jesus had to the Father. So I think it's good to to think a little bit about that. And then, as Jesus said, my father is the vine grower. It's the father who wants to cultivate a fruitful vine. Hmm. And I think that's good too, because we see this Trinitarian truth here, the relationship between the father and the son. Jesus, the son is the vine. The father is the vine grower. And the father wants to cultivate, as I said, a fruitful vine, which is a vine that produces love, that produces Mm -hmm. fruit and the good fruit. So, when Jesus says, he takes away, now he's referring to the Father, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Okay, that's a pretty strong statement. <laughs> that, in other words, if a, a branch is, is dead, if it's not bringing forth life, if it's not producing fruit, then it's removed by mm-hmm. the vine grower. 
that's pretty stark because we think, okay, that is possible that we can be separated if we're not living our faith and we're not producing fruit and we're not people of love who are living our Christian life, we're really getting cut off from the vine, you know? So anyhow, the other part of that where Jesus goes on to say, everyone that does, he that means does bear fruit. Everyone that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. Hmm. Think about this pruning. I mean, this is a really interesting thing. We know that when you have a, a vine, grapevine, the vine grower needs to prune back some of the branches so that the vine bears more fruit. Okay, so the vine grower removes dead branches, which we just talked about, mm -hmm. but also prunes good branches so that they'll bear more fruit. That's a really um, neat image, I think, because we know that we all need pruning in our lives, that we need to be purified. We need to get cut off those sinful parts of us, self-centeredness or whatever that we have, our sinful faults. They need to be cut back because we're not going to be fruitful. And sometimes it's painful to be pruned. Um, hmm. That's what penance is all about. It can hurt, you know, to, to give up some things that we know are not good for us or that are harmful to our growth and holiness. So it talks about, Jesus talks about how the Father prunes us. I also think of kind of like the discipline that mm -hmm. um, God, the Father who loves us, you know, disciplines us just like any good father lovingly disciplines their children mm -hmm. so that they will grow well, so mm -hmm. that they will they will uh, grow in, in maturity and grow in, in their Christian life. Uh, so that is something we all need to do. We all need to be pruned. Jesus goes on to say, as I said, you are already pruned, he said to the disciples, because of the word that I spoke to you. In other words, if we respond to the words of Jesus, all that he teaches, and if we take his words to heart, then we become cleansed of what hinders us from bearing fruit. Now, when Jesus said they're already pruned, it doesn't mean that they'll never have to be pruned again. I mean, we all have to get pruned uh, again and again in order to grow in holiness. I'd say part of this would be like going to confession. That's kind of getting, that's a pruning, you know, right. I would think. So Jesus then, after he speaks these words, he says to them, remain in me as I remain in you. This is one of the like favorite verbs of St. John. I don't remember the exact number of times he uses the word menane to remain or to abide in his gospel, but it's a lot. For example, in the bread of life discourse, he uses that word quite a bit, but here he uses it many, many times. Remain in me as I remain in you. In other words, how important it is to maintain that union with the vine. And when you think about that, our connection to Christ, our union with him, this is something that should be a priority for us to remain in him. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we do that? Well, we do it by prayer. We do it by receiving the sacraments. And when we do, when we remain in Christ and remain in his love, we produce good fruits. 
especially the fruit of love. Jesus says, just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Notice how many times he uses that verb, remain. Yeah. Now, some translations it's, it's of the Bible, you'll hear, see it translated as abides. Okay. The New American Bible that we use in our lectionary, we, it's translated remains. In, in, anywhere, in any case, the important thing is that it's saying that we really can't bear fruit on our own. Mm-hmm. In other words, we need Christ's grace. I think of a vine and the branches. I think of the sap as kind of being like the life that mm-hmm. we receive from Christ, like the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is kind of the sap is, is one image that I like. So it's because of God's grace. It's because of the Holy Spirit and our opening our hearts to God's grace that we are able to do good, that we're able to bear fruit. And Jesus says that because without me, you can do nothing. Otherwise, you know, if we think that we can earn all this on our own, that we can earn salvation, that's wrong. I mean, that's the heresy that the church has condemned, which is Pelagianism. We shouldn't be Pelagians. Mm -hmm. Um, So the idea here is it's by remaining in Christ and living in his grace that we're able to bear good fruit. Without him, as Jesus says, we can do nothing. Mm -hmm. And then he says again, Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. So, kind of he alluded to that earlier, the idea of if we don't bear fruit, if we cut ourselves off from from Jesus, we're really casting ourselves off, we dry up, we perish. But if we remain in him, we will live. And I think that's pretty straightforward. Then our Lord says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. So in other words, whatever you want, it will be done for you. Has the sense of whatever fruit we desire that we'll be able to do it. Hmm. In other words, it will be done for us, whatever we want. So if we stay united to Jesus and we listen and obey his words, then whatever we desire will be in conformity with his desires and will be granted. That's a beautiful thing to trust in, in that promise. When we bear much good fruit, the Father is glorified. Hmm. That's how he ends. We can think about how Jesus glorified his father. He did the work of his father. But the disciples are also to do that by being joined to Christ the vine. We can bear much fruit. And when we do, we are also glorifying the father just as Jesus did. And then he says, through bearing fruit, we become his disciples. It's interesting that being a disciple is identified with bearing fruit. So Mm. we can call ourselves disciples because we're Christians, because we're Catholics, 
But it's more than just that. I say that to our confirmation candidates a lot. To be a true disciple is, is to bear fruit. It's to be united. It's an empty claim to say, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple, and then we don't do any, bear any fruit on his behalf. Yeah. That's why Jesus tells his followers that by bearing fruit, they become his disciples. This isn't just a one-time thing. It's a process of continual growth in becoming more fruitful. And we're enabled to do so by this, uh, this constant pruning mm -hmm. that Jesus talks about, being pruned by the Father. So anyhow, I think this is just such a great passage for reflection, the importance of our staying in spiritual communion with Jesus. He is the source of our life. He gives us the power to love, and we grow in this communion with him through prayer, through the sacraments, especially the Holy Eucharist. And because of that, we are enabled to love as to love others as Jesus commands us, to love one another as as he has loved us. Well, it's interesting. As you break that down, I don't think I've ever heard this scripture used as a defense against the faith alone argument. But it fits so well. A lot of times we hear, you know, James says, faith without works is dead. Or in Matthew 25, the sheep go to heaven, the goats go to hell because they did these things. They were doing works. Uh, but this is just another example of, yes, it's not works alone. We'd never say that as Catholics. Right. Uh, but it's also not faith alone. Like, we will be judged by our actions. And so, You're our works exactly are important. right. I mean, Kyle, this, this is a very strong argument against those who say, faith alone yeah because or those who say once saved always saved right because here it says that it gives the real possibility of okay you were a branch right right but you can die you can become a dead branch and get cut off yep so it is possible you know it's not once saved always saved right i mean one needs to stay connected to the vine yeah. And then against the Pelagians, on the other hand, as you were saying, it's not that we're earning salvation mm -hmm. by our works, because it's because of Christ and being connected to the vine that we're able to do good works. Right. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was such a great walkthrough. And coming up, we'll talk about tomorrow's gospel when Jesus states, as the Father loves me, so I also love you. That's coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we just talked about today's gospel, uh, being the vine and the branch. Well, Jesus is the, the vine, we are the branch. Uh, tomorrow's gospel is also from John 15. It kind of continues this Last Supper discourse. Do you mind walking us through that a little bit? Oh, I'd be happy to. The next three verses, verses 9 to 11 of John 15, is a short passage, but it's really very profound. So let me read it first. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. 
I mean, Jesus is telling the disciples how profoundly he loves them. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about that first sentence, as the Father loves me, so I also love you. Well, think about how the Father loves Jesus. He loves him with boundless love. God is love. Yeah. And his love for his only son, it's incredible. And then when Jesus then says, well, as the Father loves me, so I also love you. So it's kind of like a love without measure. I mean, he loves us completely. He loves us totally as the Father loves him. Just that one sentence, if we let that sink in, the idea of how infinite God's love is for us, we can be drawn into this attitude of, of such comfort and be filled with thanksgiving that our Lord is drawing us into this really unimaginable communion of love that he has with the Father. But our Lord then goes on to say, again, he uses that word remain, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. This is really a test or evidence that we are remaining in the love of Jesus if we're keeping his commandments. It's not something just theoretical to keep his commandments, to obey him. That is what preserves our communion with him. It's what helps our communion with Jesus to grow. This is Jesus's own response to his father, that he did his father's will as the son. He has kept the father's commandments. So he remains in the love of his father. So the idea is if we love and obey him as he loves and obeys the father, then we will also share his joy. And Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. We all want to be happy. We all want to have peace and joy in our life. Well, this is it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like by obeying Jesus' commandments, this is some kind of a, a burden that makes our lives miserable. It's the exact opposite. When we follow Jesus and keep his commandments, and remain in his love, we're going to have a joy that, that it's beyond any kind of earthly happiness. Nothing gives more profound joy than knowing that we're loved in this way. We can be filled with joy over this love that Jesus passes on to us and experience really a, a profound happiness. We're really not joyful when we're not following our Lord's teachings, or when we're disobedient to his commandments, we don't end up happy or joy. We think about the rich young man who, in the gospel, didn't follow Jesus because he had many riches. And right. what does the gospel tells us? He went away sad. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't willing to let go of his material things to follow Jesus, and he went away sad. If he would have followed Jesus, he would have found real joy. Hmm. The next part of this John chapter 15 kind of even goes more deeply into these mysteries, beginning with verse 12 and ending with verse 17. Jesus said to his disciples, this is my commandment 
Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves, because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. I think this all needs to be unpacked a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, This is my commandment, love one another as I love you. Now, Jesus had said this earlier, by the way, in, uh, we read in, in chapter 13 of John's gospel, but here he repeats it again. Again, think about how the Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loves his disciples. They are then to love one another. So it's like this stream of love flowing from the Father through the Son and then among the disciples. His disciples are to love one another as he loves them. So Jesus is the model for how one is to love. And of course, his, his uh, example is perfect. I mean, he loved to the end. And that's why he goes on and says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. By the way, if you look at the Greek, really that word friends is the Greek word beloved. So sometimes I think when we use the word friends, we may not get to the depth of what what uh, St. John is saying here. Yeah. But if you think of it, to lay down one's life for one's beloved. You are my beloved. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Hmm. I think that word beloved conveys the meaning better here because sometimes we use friends not so much in that kind of a, a deep sense. Yeah. There's no greater love than Jesus doing this giving one's life for the sake of others. That's the ultimate thing we can do, the sacrificing ourselves. And that's what Jesus did. He, in obedience to the Father, he laid down his life for us out of love. And of course, in doing so, what did he accomplish? He accomplished our redemption, our salvation. Might say, well, you know, am I gonna ever really be, I'm not gonna probably, dying for my friends right but but we can still die to ourselves we can love others in the sense of giving ourselves in loving service that's a certain dying to self like the grain of wheat falling to the ground and Mm. dying it remains just a grain of wheat but if it dies it it brings forth life so when we live our lives in love and loving service day by day sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others, then we're loving one another as Jesus has loved us. That's a way of laying down our life lives for our friends. Jesus then says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay, in other words, you're my beloved. He loves us despite our, our failures, despite our sins, despite our shortcomings. And then he says, I no longer call you slaves. Now, I don't remember anywhere where Jesus actually called his disciples slaves, but yeah. but they would address Jesus as master. Oh, sure. Remember? so, And that was a, a title used for slave owners as well as for others. 
Jesus didn't correct them on that. So hmm. he accepted that title. He said back in chapter 13, no slave is greater than his master. Remember when he was washing the feet of the disciples, he said that, and he said they're to do as the master has done for them. Hmm. Um, so even though he remains the master, he doesn't call them slaves. He says, because a slave does not know what his master is doing. What does a slave do? A slave obeys the orders of his master. And Jesus says, I've called you friends because I've told you everything I've heard from my father. So he's hold, held nothing back. A slave master wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. He's told them everything, and therefore he can call them his friends, his beloved his beloved disciples. He doesn't want them to just be unthinking slaves. He does want them to obey his commandments, but he wants them to understand how much he loves them and to obey his commandments out of love. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. That's another thing to really think about, um, how the disciples were attracted to Jesus. But what really happened first. Jesus chose them. He made them his disciples. Well, it's the same with us. We've been chosen. He has chosen us. He says, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that, that will remain. Intrinsic to our Christian calling as disciples is that we bear fruit. This is the whole point of the what we were talking about earlier, the vine and the branches. So this is kind of reiterating the same message. Mm -hmm. And again, the fruits especially are the works of love. Or, you know, what's also helpful is I think of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that are listed by St. Paul. He lists love as the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, but there are other fruits of the Holy Spirit as well, like patience mm -hmm. and generosity and self-control, mm -hmm. faithfulness, gentleness. You know, there's that list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus repeats the command at the end, this I command you, love one another. It's said, I forget where I read this, that when St. John was getting very old and approaching death and people would see him, that's all he would say. He'd say to them, love one another. Hmm. So that's very beautiful when you think about it. And all this is really foundational to our life. I think sometimes about how people, how we can be tempted to get involved in uh, or busy and concerned about so many things, let's say in our parish or in the diocese, and we forget the center, which is this command of love. Hmm. I talked about that at the beginning of Lent, uh, about uncharitable speech, for example. Right. I mean, that should have nothing to do with our Christian lives. Mm -hmm. um, we stray from the center. And I think when we reflect on, on John chapter 15, we get back to the center. The idea that we need to die to ourselves, our own sinfulness, our selfishness, obey the Father's will, stay connected to the vine, and, and really love one another. We need to be pruned, but at the same time, we're called to bear fruit. And the number one fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And how many times does Jesus say, and St. John shares with us, love one another. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, so many questions that I have, but if you have questions, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash Ask Bishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And wrapping up our last Supper Gospels, Bishop will reflect on what it means that the world will hate us. Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but we've been walking through the Last Supper discourse over the uh, past few days that we've had this gospel, and we're coming up on Saturday's gospel, which is John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, which kind of tells us that the world is going to hate us. Yeah, I mean, Jesus has just spoken about the love that we're supposed to have. Then he says, if the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love its own. But because you do not belong to the world and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, no slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. Hmm. I think since this follows on what Jesus is saying, love one another, I think this is basically that when we, when we love in this way, when we love as Jesus does, when we spread his goodness, we should be ready to experience the hatred of the world. Yeah. And he assures us, you know, realize that it hated me first. Now you say, well, who? what's he talking about the world? It, it's basically when, when John uses that title, the world, he's talking about those who are alienated from God. And so we know about the early persecution, even at the time that John's gospel was composed, the, the first disciples, the early church was being persecuted. We shouldn't be surprised. Should we expect to be treated any different than Jesus was treated? Now, if we belong to the world, he said, the world would love us, the, mm. you know, but by belonging to the world, that means that we're conforming to the values of the world, not the values of the gospel. Right. Uh, so, and we think about our world today and the secularism and the relativism, the materialism. Yeah, we could get a lot of praise and we could be live a very carefree life if we were doing that, but we wouldn't have... Uh, it wouldn't be a good life. We wouldn't have the joy which Jesus is speaking of. So Jesus is calling us to um, to just be faithful and to realize that, yeah, we'll experience hatred. We'll experience persecution mm -hmm. just like he did. If we're living his word, if we're living the teachings of the gospel, you know, and we're bearing witness to him, we can expect opposition. Now here we might have what we could call a soft persecution in the United States, but in other places of the world, I mean, Christians, committed Catholics, they're jailed, imprisoned, or sometimes killed. But here, we're probably, it's, we'll probably experience unpopularity or rejection, mm -hmm. criticism, maybe some hatred, but certainly not to the extent as our brothers and sisters in some other parts of the world experience. I think one of the things is how do we bear this? I, I talk about this with our candidates for confirmation. It's the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's that gift of fortitude, fortitude in the midst of persecution, hostility, rejection. Hmm. Um, so this is kind of a sobering gospel, but yet really important. And so when we do experience any kind of persecution, opposition, hatred, whatever, we need to th think of Jesus. 
that has happened to him first. And he predicted that this would happen to us. Yeah. It just, all of these flow together so well that we need to be, remain on the vine and so that we can be fruitful. We need to prune our lives of the things that are not producing fruit. And that prepares us to be able to lay our debt, lay our lives down for another person, maybe not literally, but in, in a way to die to self and we will probably be persecuted in the process. So it's yeah. check, check us out, encourage people to go read through John chapter 15 and pay attention at the, the gospels over the next few days. Yeah. I, I encourage people take your Bible to church or to an adoration chapel and just slowly read hmm. John chapter 15 and let it sink in. It really is a beautiful part of, of the scriptures. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. I know you're very busy, but we appreciate you taking some time for us. And could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Be sure to listen next week for another new episode of Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.